0: Hello again, welcome back to another round of Deep Dives with Father Sean, the Super Catholic Catechesis Podcast. This is inspired by the catechism's reminder that times of renewal in the church are also intense moments of catechesis. Catechesis, that's getting, getting the Lord deeper into our minds and hearts. You know, this process of having already handed over our, our lives to Him in the fundamental act of faith and adhering to Him, sticking to Him with our minds, with our wills and choices, uh, and with our very bodies and actions, well, you know, now we're time. Now it's time to go through this process of what we call catechesis. It's kind of getting the life of God more deeply rooted within us. Uh, and I don't want to make this sound over the top intellectual, um, but we we got to live it. We got to live it. And so hopefully, as we we hear about the goodness of God and the love of God and about who He is, it it affects who. It affects our love for him, and we we hear about his goodness, we hear about his lovability, and we choose to love him more deeply, and we respond more generously to him, and and we we have more tools to do that with. That's you know, part of the catechesis as well, you know, how to pray, how to how to approach the sacraments and different things like that. Well, very good. We're going to continue in this little series here. The series is, you know, I like this because it's not over the top. You know, I'm not talking about things that are terribly deep. Uh, sometimes, you know, on these deep dives, I do take a deep dive, but this is just nice. It's kind of like an introduction to theology, introduction to, you know, who God is. And, you know, we're not biting off too much one per episode. It's just kind of like, all right, this is just a little, little, little nugget here, a little half an hour nugget here. Um, this is something I had done in COVID. I think I mentioned on the last episode and I'm just kind of updating it, updating the sound quality, updating with maybe a few different Bible verses or stories or examples just to kind of make it a little bit more real, make it a little bit more lively, a little bit more interesting, easier to listen to. Uh, But I got great feedback on the first round, but this is a little bit more just the updated version. All right. Very good, my brothers and sisters. So just as a review before we begin with a prayer, just as a review, we talked about last time that God reveals himself step by step, step by step. He takes the initiative. You know, he's not saying, behold, I am God and here's the fullness of who I am. No, he says, hello, here I am. I call you. Come follow me. Listen to me. I'm telling you about myself i'm revealing myself to you step by step step by step not too much at any given time but step by step you know he he adapts himself to us and our in our ignorance and our hard heartedness and he's just so very generous and ultimately he gives himself to us fully in the person of jesus christ the fullness of revelation who has jesus has all of god and there's nothing lacking uh, one of the verses we talked about, which kind of cap, encapsulates everything, was in from the beginning of Hebrews, in many and various ways, God spoke of old to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son through whom he also created the world. <laughs> Sneeze, excuse me. He reflected the glory of God and bears the very stamp of his nature. That's so cool. Uh, We can think about Jesus answering the question of Philip. um, Philip, how long have I been with you and you still don't get it? Whoever sees me has seen the father. (laughs) So if you want to know all of God, the fatherhood of God, we just got to look at Jesus, the son. Isn't that cool? God speaks. We listen. We don't judge. We just receive. That's our job. That's our job. And so today we're going to get into the very essence of of the revelation who is god who is god just two primary qualities we're not getting into all the details here but two primary qualities so let's begin then the father son holy spirit amen heavenly father we we look upon you and your goodness and your grace and your love and your power and your majesty in your forgiveness and being slow to anger and rich in kindness, we adore you and glorify. And we ask that we may humble ourselves more and more before you so that we may may see the truth of who you are. We remember that your son Jesus told us that we must be like children of God to to ha- receive this revelation. So help us to be humble like children who you know, believe their parents whenever they tell them something. Help us to be humble, open, receptive is through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Father son holy spirit. Amen. Hallelujah. Very good, very good. So as I mentioned, we're going to be talking about the very core of the nature of God, the in my opinion, in my perspective, the two fundamental characteristics of God, the characteristics of God. You know, and when I talk about these characteristics, they kind of scratch the surface They, I they don't quite get to who God is and why is that? Well, it's because God is beyond. He's beyond our human words, our human understanding. Our words mean something. They absolutely do. And there's a true similarity with our words that we use with God, but yet he's still so far beyond it. But he reveals himself to us through words, <laughs> through actions. So we have the boldness to be able to identify the Lord in, in the way that he does. So we're going to be looking at Revelation. You know, I'm not making this up off the top of my head, you know, we're looking at Revelation here, and we're going to be looking at these two fundamental characteristics of God. The first being his grandeur. I don't know quite how else to put it. Maybe holiness, his nature of being beyond. And then the second is his goodness, his all goodness. You know, we add the word omnipotence, which means all powerful or all knowing omniscience. But there's no quite word to capture God as all good. Omni bona. Bono. I don't know how you say that. <laughs> I don't think there's a word that says that. Anyways, he's the all good one. He's he's perfectly good. He goodness itself. All right, well, let's dive in here. Uh, we're going to begin with Moses. So I'm going to be looking at the very core, the deepest revelations of who God is. And I'm going to be using those as the platform to move forward. Uh, obviously Jesus is the fullness of that, but I'm going to be walking through the Old Testament here. And the moment when God reveals himself most profoundly is when he reveals his very name to Moses. Moses goes up on the mountain, he sees the burning bush. God says, "Go save my people." Moses says, "Well, who are you so I can tell the people that you sent me?" And God replies, "I am." who am. I am, who am. Now there's going to be a couple different meaning meanings for this. This is made up of four letters. If you ever, here's a fancy word for you, just to give you a deep, deep dive. This is called the tetragrammaton. It's a four letter Hebrew word. I am, who am. Uh, It is so sacred that the Jewish people, do not ever pronounce it except for the, the high priest who'd go into the temple once a year and he would vocalize the name of God. Otherwise, if they were reading it and they saw the Tetragrammaton, they would just say, Lord, they would just say, Lord. Which means when we hear Jesus being called Lord, it's like, oh, 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 that word means a little bit more than what it sounds like. Oh, yeah, it does, doesn't it? Anyway, that's a, that's a little deep dive, a deep, deep dive within this deep dive. So what does it mean? You know, what might Moses have heard in that? You know, theologians have thought about it, and I think all these answers are correct in all, all truth. The first thing is, it's kind of like God saying, I am who I am. Don't ask dumb questions, Moses. <laughs> it's like I am who I am. I'm just beyond, you know. I'm. I don't have to give you my name. Yeah, I guess you can ask, but I am who I am. I'm telling you that I'm beyond. I'm majestic. I'm. You can't understand me. You, you can't get it. I am, who I am. And you know, certainly God is not being sarcastic here. He's not being rude, but he's just declaring that I am who I am. I am beyond having a name. I am beyond being able to be wrapped up into four little letters. I am who I am. I'm great. I'm grand. I'm bigger than the, what you ask for, and, and the name can't encapsulate me. So I think that's one legitimate way of understanding this this holy name of God. The second is is kind of developed by philosophers, and, and again, I think this is super true. I do think this is real and accurate. Um, you know, we don't have to have a singular interpretation on any one thing. I, I don't buy that. Uh, that doesn't mean there's not wrong interpretations. Like if if someone said, I, when God said, I am who I am, he's he's hating on Moses and saying, get out of my face. You know, it's not quite what's going on. And we know that because God has called him before his face. <laughs> uh, so, but, so we have multiple interpretations. And the second one, Uh, which is a little bit more philosophical, kind of tying in theology and philosophy here. It's talking about God as the one who is. I am who I am. I am pure existence. I am being. I am pure being. Uh, Certainly, you know, the crazy thing is, is that Aristotle established a philosophy that aimed at the questions of what is being in and of itself? What are the characteristics of being? Not the characteristics of, of an animal, or of a human, or of happiness. He asks those questions too, which are very relevant. But he asks the most fundamental question. What does it mean to be? What is being itself? And he slowly works from the observed beings that he can see to the conclusion that there is some source of being. There is something that is pure being that that he kind of recognizes as God. And And the height of the human life is to contemplate that pure being. And so as the Aristotelian philosophy comes into contact with Christianity, they're like, holy cow, whoa, whoa, Aristotle thought this actually, and this is what God's name is. I am who I am. Whoa, that's just this is just wild. It's too too incredible here. And so they they develop a theology based on God being pure being. And they can use the insights of Aristotle to get at that. I'm not getting at that because that's a deep, 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 deep dive. But, but, you know, there's people who've done that and that's, it's called metaphysics, metaphysics, the study of being. We're not getting into that, but God is pure being. He is this, this active principle of life, pure being. He establishes all other being, all other being comes from him who is pure being. And he has this relationship because he is pure being with all other things that be, that are, that exist. So the conclusion that we make from both of these interpretations, don't ask dumb questions. I'm well beyond having a particular name that can encapsulate me and God is pure being. You know, I think we can conclude that God is other. He's beyond. And this is what the Hebrew word holy means. It's it's other. It's beyond. And we think of Moses who cried out to God, let me see you. But God said, no, I'm going to pass in front of you. And, you yeah, know, okay, you can, you can look. Look at me after I pass, but not on my face. So he looks on his back, and he comes out with a radiant, glowing face. Pretty crazy amazing. Or we think of Elijah, who called down fire on the sacrifice. And we hear, and when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces. God is other. Or we think of Isaiah. In the first number of chapters, maybe excluding the first chapter, but maybe two through five, We hear about, you know, a critique of the sinfulness of the people. Isaiah is saying like, hey, you shouldn't be doing this. You can't be treating your neighbor that way. You know, do better with your worship. Don't be doing these false worship stuff with other gods. You know, do focus on God alone. So there's a critique of the holiness or not the holiness, the the sinfulness of the people. And then it contrasts the sinfulness of the people with the reality of God. And we hear those words that we have at every Mass, and it is repeated even at the end of the Bible and the book of Revelation. Holy, holy, holy. And when three words are repeated in Hebrew, it means most holy. It's the top, top, top holiness. And so not only has God other, but he's like beyond (laughs) Otherness, <laughs> You know, he's he's like not the one who's beyond. He's the one who's beyond being beyond. He's just so far above. And the only thing that we can bring to comparison with him is our sinfulness. And it is so low, so minuscule, so minuscule. Uh, in Hebrews, we hear that our God is a consuming fire. You know, what does that mean? What does that mean? You know, it's kind of hard to understand what that means. There's a lot of people who comment on that. But it means that God is other he he consumes everything. You know nothing can can compare in his presence. And if we hold up something to compare with him, the other thing is consumed by the fire of God. It it doesn't hold. It doesn't last. If we think that we can show up before God with with sinfulness, even if it's small, that even small sinfulness is is just radically different than God. We can say that we're a good person, but When we have our sinfulness, we have particular sins. You know, a good person means something totally different than the otherness, the majesty, the beyondness of God. What about the New Testament? What about the New Testament with Jesus? Well, we think about the transfiguration. I would say before the resurrection, I would say cross and resurrection, the greatest revelation of God is is when Jesus revealed Himself in glory. He went up to Mount Tabor there, and He shone like the sun. You remember that? And what did those three apostles do? They threw themselves on their faces. They're like, "Whoa, ho, ho, ho. we did not plan on this happening today." They didn't stand there and say, "Oh my gosh, we we love you, and we want to, we want to, you know, you know, have a pancake with you." You know, you're a great dude. You know, we want to, you know, here's a high five. You're super cool. I didn't realize how cool you were. No, they fell on their faces. This is what human beings do before God, whether they have the revelation of God or they believe in the presence of God through faith. We think about before the Eucharist. You know, you throw yourself on your face before the Lord, perhaps. You know, if you did that, you'd be very biblical, and that would be a good thing. We think of John, the Gospel of John. Now, when Jesus is arrested, he describes what happened there. The soldiers come out and they ask, Are you Jesus, the Nazarene? Now think about what Moses said, Moses, or what Moses heard. God said, I am who I am. I am who I am. And so Jesus responds in a profound way here. Are you Jesus, the Nazarene? I am. Ego eimi in Greek. And they fell to their knees before the Lord. Because he's other, he's different. He's he's totally beyond. He has no need for us. He has no need for us. You know, this he he not created us human beings because he had something that he could gain. He it's not like we can make him happier. It's not like we can make him fulfilled you know that's not what happens he he doesn't create us for that reason for his own self you know he's not a big codependent person being in space up there in the sky and he needs us to get to heaven in order to for him to be content you know he's he's not codependent like that you know he is there and he is content in and of himself and he just chose this particular project that we call existence, you know, humanity, um, your life and my life, and he did that freely, out of love, but he doesn't need us. He doesn't need us. He does outline a path for freedom and is and it's clear what happens to humanity without that path. You know, there's wailing and grinding of teeth, darkness, unquenchable fires, some of these ways that talk about it because god doesn't need us but we radically need him you know if we are exist if we are beings that exist then we need the pure existence and if we are cut off from that pure existence any beings with existence are gonna gonna suffer for it and so what is the human reaction before this well it's the fear of god it's the fear of god Uh, it's the beginning of wisdom that we hear repeated throughout the old testament it's it's thinking that god is all-knowing all-powerful, all-present, inaccessible, sovereign, unfathomable, just beyond. He's beyond. And the fear of God, you know, I'm not talking about we should fear him in the sense of, you know, you're going to fear being in the same cage with the tiger. No, that's not how God teaches us to fear him. You know, we throw our face—think of they're at the transfiguration. They throw themselves down before God, but they also say, hey— (laughs) <laughs> I'm like, well, this is better than we realized. And I'm like, gosh, let's make a couple booths, you know, a couple tents. You know, you can stay here, Moses can stay, Elijah can stay there. How's that sound, Jesus? Please. You know, we, we got to be on our faces. This is too radically amazing here. But if you could stay like this forever, that would be great. So, you know, G, the way that Jesus reveals himself is not to have this fear that he's going to be there to strike us down. And in fact, he teaches us the goodness of being confident in God. So the fear of God is more of, yeah, I guess we would say there's a, a secondary fear. There's a bad fear where you fear him like you're fearing a lion that, that you might be in the same cage with. You know That's good fear, but that's not the fear of God. The fear of God, at a simple step, is to fear the consequences of leaving God, the consequences of our sin. You know, God is all just, and he will repay us according to our our actions. That should give us a little bit of trembling. And the fear of God is at this secondary level, not the wrong first level, but the secondary level It's not the height of fear of God either. But it's saying like, oh, shoot, I've sinned. I, I need to respect God here because he, he has punishment. You know, this is how it goes. He is just and there's punishment in his kingdom. He has an ordered kingdom. It's not haphazard there's an order to it and if i have an infraction there's a punishment so there's the fear of punishment due to sin the third and the height of the fear of god is the fear of god that that a son would have for his father uh to honor the father to respect the father to not have a servile fear of like oh my gosh i guess i better serve you otherwise you're going to strike me dead no It's someone who wants to serve God. It's someone who is pleased by serving God. You know, I think of, you know, probably all of us have been in this circumstance. You know, my dad has a good name. My dad has a good name. He's a respectable man up church and at work and all these other different places. And here I am, you know, back in the day, I was that teenager. You know, I didn't always have the best attitude. Um, I'm thankful I didn't get into trouble. I really didn't. But, you know, part of that motivation was I didn't want to ruin my dad's good name. You know, I, I respected my dad, and I and I wanted to maintain his good name. That's, that's a good filial devotion, uh, the devotion of a son. And that's the devotion that we should have to God. You know, I don't want to ruin God's name. I'm going to be a good human being. I'm going to act responsibly. I'm going to be a contributor to society and to the church. And I'm doing that to maintain God's good name, to maintain his holy name. Uh, And and not to cause scandal. So, that's the first characteristic of God. So, in a nutshell, God is beyond. That's the key thing you need to recognize. And really, He is beyond. It's not just a little pretty thing to say. He is beyond. He's beyond beyond this. He's not just holy in this otherness. He's holy, holy, holy. Now, again, repeat at the end of Scripture, not just in in Isaiah, but there, but also in this vision of heaven that John had in the book of Revelation. So the second thing is that God is good. He is goodness itself. He is beyond this goodness. And this is the third interpretation of what Moses heard. Yeah, he heard, I am who am. He heard this tetragrammaton, you know, this, this four-letter name. And Pope Benedict, he writes this book called I think it was in this book. I think he wrote it in Jesus of Nazareth. But he writes that because he wanted to get into the ear of Moses. How would the Hebrew people have heard this? And so he did that study. He found out what the, the super guru scholars said who know those ancient languages. And he discovered that in accordance seeing that there are some similar parallels in these ancient languages— The way that the Hebrew Jewish Israelite people would have heard this four-letter name, they would hear it as, I am for you. I am for you. Is that not beautiful? There's no, he has no need to enter our world, but he chooses to enter into our world to Start a dialogue with us to enter into covenants with us. Talk about humi- humble. When you have a covenant, you're in the old world, you're there's always a death. Animals die, there's a sacrifice, and they're half of the body is put on one side, half of the body is put on the other side. And the two parties walk between them and they walk between them because they're saying, Hey, you know, what? here's our agreement. We're a family now, and if you go back on your family. May you be like these animals, dead and bloody. And God wants to do that with us. He established covenants with us through blood. You know, and he's saying, if I go back on my covenant, may I be dead. (laughs) That's just hard to understand. But it shows that God is good and that goodness is faithful. He gives us promises. He gives us the path of salvation. He gives us his own son, the way, the truth, the life. He gives us everything. He doesn't hold back anything. It's just crazy. He creates this relationship with us that has so much intimacy, even from the creation of humanity. He comes down and we hear that he breathes into this body made of clay. He breathes into it, into its nostrils. You know, it's kind of like a kiss in some ways. It's super intimate. He could have just zapped us with lightning or something like that. No, but but he come down and, and breathed into us. The, this, this divine kiss is our origin. Isn't that cool? Uh, the covenant with Abraham, as I mentioned. You know, there's the separation of animals there. He chopped up these animals. And there was this smoking fire pod and the flaming torch that passed between these animals. And this represented the mysterious otherness of God passing through here. This is the language of covenant that God condescends to our level. It's crazy. Uh, before I get into the some other nuances here, I want to go back to Moses here. Moses, he wanted to see God. (laughs) He wanted to see God. This is what it was. And so he went up to the mountain, Mount Sinai, and he took the two tables of stones. And this is from uh, chapter 34. And this is what we hear. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. When you read in Scripture the word Lord, and all the letters are uh, capital letters, that's when you know that there is the official name of God that was revealed to Moses. So, the Lord descended and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children. And Moses made haste to bow his head toward the earth and worshipped. So, this is kind of crazy. (laughs) So... uh. That's what happened. But this was a profound, profound encounter with God. That God came before him and revealed these key characteristics. And I'm just kind of wrapping up these characteristics in the word good. Uh, You know, a lot of times we think of the God of the Old Testament as like a meanie. He's a little bit too just. He's taken sin a little bit too seriously. No, he doesn't take sin too seriously. And the reason why he doesn't is because... God calls man into relationship, the God who doesn't need to, the God who is so far beyond us, who is beyond us itself. And therefore, kind of one infraction against it is, is a big deal because it's a big deal against the biggest God. But even before he addresses sin and his justice, he says, God, merciful. So that's the first thing he says. Gracious, second thing. Slow to anger. That's the third. Number four is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Number five, keeping steadfast love for thousands. Number six, forgiving. Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And then only the last one is he's not going to clear the guilty. You know, uh, if if a person is, is content in their guilt, they're not coming to the Lord asking for that forgiveness, he's going to hold them accountable. But if they uh, come to him, if they're repentant, and if they ask him for that forgiveness, oh my gosh, the God who is merciful and gracious, low to anger, steadfast in love and faithfulness, forgiving, you know, he's going to wipe that away. He is so good. He is so good. Some of these Hebrew words that we hear in this is one of them is hen. Hen is a word that means the favor of a superior to a lower being. So think of like a king. to to just anyone else in the kingdom there. And if the king decides, I'm going to choose you as my friend. Uh, You're a poor person, but I'm going to call you to my table. This is what St. Louis did, king of France. He invited them, the poor people to his own table to eat with him. And this is kind of what God does with us. It's very much what God does with us. He, Jesus, the king of kings, invites us to his heavenly banquet. You know, this is crazy. It's the favor of a superior to someone who is subject to the superior. So this is an overflowing of love. It's well beyond what is just. It's well beyond what makes sense. It's it's unmerited favor. The second key word here that is used to describe God is hesed. hesed. It's the fidelity of a bilateral alliance or covenant. So if God's making his alliance with us, his covenant with us, he's going to be faithful to it. And God is this faithfulness. He has this covenant fidelity, perpetual friendship. Okay. So these words, they kind of get combined together in in the new Testament and what we know is grace, what we know is grace. Um, oh my gosh, I can't think of what the word grace is in, in Greek, um, that we hear in the new Testament, but, but, Especially Paul, I man, he he uses the word all the dang time. You know, grace is all over the New Testament, especially in his writings. And in the writings of Paul, the word grace is—you you can you know, kind of wrap it up in in graciousness, in graciousness. It's kind of this unmerited goodness that is given. Uh, there's a sense of faithfulness to it, forgiving. Uh, it's an active reality. It's moved. It's thrown into action. Uh, and this is the grace of Jesus Christ, the graciousness of Jesus Christ, the goodness of God, his active initiative to to flood us with his own love and goodness. You know, this is what grace is. And there's more nuance. We could do a whole word study on grace, but that's not my intention here. This is just another way of describing that God is all good. It's not like we have some mean God in the old Testament. And there's a new Testament God in Jesus Christ who is, who is kind. And it's not like it's a goodness that eliminates just, you know, we, we recognize that if someone is truly good, they're going to be truly just. And if God would stop being just, He'd stop being good. <laughs> That's how it goes. Uh, just to give you a little example, just to give you a little example here. Um, you know, there's a common piece of advice. There's a common piece of advice. You know, make good friends. You know, don't don't choose a dummy to be a friend with. I'm not talking about intellectual dummy. I'm talking about you know, don't choose a friend who continues to lead you into problems, who leads you into sin, who leads you into evil ways. Don't do that. Choose your friends wisely. And that's what we try to do. And we do that. We need to do that because we're, we're sinful creatures and we, we become who we're around. There's nowhere around it. But God doesn't follow this advice at all. No, he does not. If God had this advice, don't get involved with With losers, with sinners, with people who are lower than you, God would have no friends. Um, There'd be the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, and and that is kind of a a trinity of friendship, eternal friendship, Uh, probably friendship and perfection, community of, of love. But he would not have chosen us. He would not. He would not have chosen us, but he did. This is incredible. There's a word that you'll hear in... In theology or in devotion, it's the condescension of God. Uh, Think of a table. You can be on the table, and you're eating at the table, but you notice there's like a little toddler on the ground. He's playing around, and he's eating his Cheerios off the floor. And you're like, you know what? I'm going to go down to the level of this toddler, and I'm going to eat a meal of Cheerios with him. If the table was all the higher, or maybe if the table was fancier... And you were a king, and there was, you know, quail and the most delicious, fancy (laughs) French food there. And if you went to eat those Cheerios, or think about even something lower, eat you know, leftover Cheerios, or eat something that's like totally gross. Well, the that would be even a greater form of condescension. It's a descending with. Con means with. Descension obviously means descending, condescension. And one of the ways that we can understand God is to understand the differential between his height and our lowliness. So the more that we believe in his height, in his otherness, in his beyondness, and act accordingly with that in bowing before his presence, kneeling before his presence, prostrating ourselves before his presence, and and living this fear of, of God in a holy sense, not in this sense that we're like, oh, I'm so afraid he's gonna strike me down. He's so mean. No, no, not that kind of fear of God. The fear of God is as a good son would fear his father and respect. It's really the the word respect really captures it the best. So if we think of God as high, 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 and if we think of ourselves as low, 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 then we're gonna really kind of get a sense. We're going to have a deep experience of gratitude that God decided to condescend, to descend to be with us. The bigger that gap is, the more we're going to see his love. If there was no gap, well, he's, we would be an equal with him. We're not an equal with God by any means, he calls us his friends. And that's just wild. It's nuts because we don't deserve it. We're not we don't merit it. We're fragile human beings. We we might be repenting of our sins, but guess what? We're just gonna do them all again. That's super sad. So but he loves us, he just loves us. And this is when the gospel has real effect. Not the proclamation of the gospel of like God loves you, but it's when you experience your sinfulness, you experience your lowliness, you experience of your unworthiness and you experience God's love in that, in a personal way, that's when it's like, oh, that's a really big drop down to my level. And he loves me still. Wow. So, just to wrap this up, God is beyond. He's other, and God is all good. He is love. The greatest revelation of that is God is love, and who he who lives in love lives in God and God in him. We see that love in the crucifixion of our lord and in his resurrection there's no greater love than this than to give up one's life for a friend this is who god is god is all beyond but he's also all good all love this is amazing so thanks for tuning in again um share it with a friend drop a comment if it's positive should leave a good review and I look forward to seeing you soon for the next round and what we'll be talking about creation. Creation. It's kind of one of the key ways that God revealed himself. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. See you the next time.